everybody is asking, what does it mean to be born again? Well, of course, we're living in a revolutionary and changing world. And the greatest need in the world at this moment is a transformation of human nature. To make people quit hating each other, fighting each other, and start loving each other. It has to come from the heart. And Jesus said it will only come from a heart that is yielded to himself. And that's why he said, you must be born again. Morning. morning. Great to be with you this morning as well as those of you watching from home. This is the second message, bringing you up to speed if you weren't here last Sunday, in this June series, Life Change in Jesus, where we are in one passage of Scripture for a month. So if you have a copy of the Bible on your phone, in your lap, etc., we're going to be back where we were, John chapter 3. And what we're doing really in this series is sort of listening in on a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus, a well-known religious leader in Jesus' day who takes up a good portion of John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now, if you've ever been, so we kind of get ready to look back in this passage, if you've ever been in a conversation and felt outmatched, okay, that is by somebody who maybe was a lot smarter than you, or maybe somebody whose experience was much greater than you, have you ever been in that kind of conversation, or you've been in a conversation with someone in the middle of a conversation who helps you see things in a way that you couldn't see them before. I mean, that really challenges you, maybe about something in your own life, maybe about something that's going on in the world. If you've ever been in that kind of conversation, either one where you feel outmatched by the, let's say, wisdom, intelligence, experience of this other person, or in a conversation where somebody who helps you to see things, open things up up for you in a way that you had not experienced before, had not seen before, maybe you can appreciate what it was like to be Nicodemus in these verses, well-known verses in this story that we are looking at here. Nicodemus, by way of where we were last week, we're not going to reread those verses, but he's the one that called this meeting. Okay? Or in other words, he showed up, right? He, Jesus wasn't, didn't ask Nicodemus. He didn't send his, one of his disciples to say, go ask Nicodemus if he'll come and visit me, right? This man was very well known, far more well known in the early days than Jesus was in Jerusalem, in this area in, uh, in Israel. He was well known. He sought Jesus out. He had heard, if, we read the, if you reread the first couple of verses here, he'd heard about Jesus. It was hard not to hear about him if you lived in the Galilee area, if you lived in, even in, in, in Jerusalem. He'd heard about Jesus, he had either heard or probably seen some of the miracles that Jesus had performed. He mentions that. So he came to Jesus and said, listen, we've, I've, I've heard about the signs. I've seen some of the signs. God is actually working through you. He had seen those, but this is the first time they actually have a conversation, as far as we know, in John chapter 3. Now, not all of that conversation likely is here It's true of most of the conversations, right? They're edited down for what the writers wanted to put in to communicate to to us. But one thing that we do notice where we pick it up kind of midstream uh, this morning is it goes from dialogue to monologue, 
right? Now, Nicodemus is the one that starts this conversation. He's the one that comes to Jesus by night. He's the one that says, I'm, I'm sort of amazed by what I've heard about you. He opens up with some questions. They begin to have a conversation. But very quickly, we'll see it here, it goes from two people talking to just one person doing all the talking, which is Jesus. And I think the reason is this, my setup for the few minutes we have this morning. Nicodemus had never met anybody like Jesus, okay? Nicodemus is in one of these outmatched conversations. Nicodemus was one of the smartest, most well-known, a teacher in Israel, perhaps a, we might call him in, a, you know, in our day a sort of a local celebrity, right? People would normally seek out audience with Nicodemus, not the other way around, but Nicodemus had never met a man like Jesus, so let's, let's, get, let's pick up this conversation. If you have a copy of John chapter 3 in front of you, we'll pick up where we left off. John 3, we'll just read verses 9 through 15, a little more of this conversation, in a message titled, A New Knowledge. A New Knowledge. John 3, verses 9 through 15. How can this be, Nicodemus asked, right? Jesus had been talking about the new birth. How can this be? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things, right? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. A new knowledge. Christianity at its core um, is a relationship. You've probably heard that before, right? Christianity at its core is a relationship, and um, it's a relationship with God, right? That's what Christianity is. In fact, even more than that, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, really. That's really the essence of Christianity. It's a personal relationship that you and I have, you and I get to have, anyone who's open to it, to have with the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. But like Nicodemus, Jesus is unlike anyone that you have ever met, right? Anyone that you have ever met. And people who are new to Christianity, which is part of the point of this series to a degree, how do we better understand the gospel, you and me, practitioners, if you're a Christian here today, and so how we can better communicate it to other people. People who are new to Christianity, and really many of us who are not so new to Christianity, one of the first steps in experiencing a greater life change in Jesus is to forget what you know. What do I mean by that? That is, what you think you know about God, what you think you know about Jesus, and what you think you know about the gospel message. Think about Nicodemus. That's why this story's here, right? I mean, John says at the end of this gospel, it's a very famous verse, I think it's chapter 20, he says, listen, many other things Jesus did that aren't, that aren't recorded here. Many other places that Jesus went, they're not recorded here. 
Many other things that Jesus said are not recorded here. He couldn't record everything that Jesus said. These things, John says, he's probably maybe asking critics like, how come Mark said that and Luke said that and what about this and what about that? And he said, listen, these things I've chosen carefully for one very express purpose, right? I'm not trying to give you the full biography of Jesus, so that you might believe and you might have life in his name. So this particular conversation, right? Jesus had, no doubt, hundreds of conversations in, in, in his adult life, in his ministry years. But these are chosen specifically for a point. And Nicodemus is, I think, chosen for a point too. Here was a guy who came to Jesus, recognized that Jesus was a teacher come from God. He was someone who apparently was, he was a, he was a religious leader, he was an insider in a manner of speaking. He comes to Jesus. He's only coming to Jesus, one would assume, because as an expert in the Old Testament, the Jesus Bible, he says, I'm connecting some dots here. This guy might be important. I think he's from God, right? So he's trying to make some connections. He recognizes Jesus is from God. However, what's interesting about the verses we just read, we discover verse uh, uh, 10 and verse 12. Number first, he doesn't understand Jesus. Are you Israel's teacher and yet you don't understand these things, the things that Jesus just got done telling him. So he's a religious leader but he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying and Jesus, as I mentioned last week in, these, in this born again discussion, he's just simply teasing out prophecies in the great prophets of the Old Testament about the new covenant. This is not a mystery. Jesus isn't being clever when he talks about being born of water and being born of spirit, it's right out of the great prophets. And he's saying, listen, how is it that you don't understand these things? Not only does Nicodemus not understand Jesus, but verse 12, he doesn't believe Jesus either. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe me, Jesus is saying. Then how will you believe I speak of heavenly things? You don't understand what I'm saying and when I'm talking to you about the Old Testament, you don't believe what I'm saying either, right? And Nicodemus, this is, we're supposed to, I think, slow down and think about this. He's not an outsider. He's you and me, in a manner of speaking. He's a believer. He's not a stranger. He's not the woman at the well. He's not an outsider. He's not a stranger. He's not someone who would be unfamiliar with the Bible, right? He's an insider, but yet Jesus doesn't understand, or Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. In fact, Jesus, in verse 10, calls him Israel's teacher. Now, if you read the commentaries, what they say is Jesus isn't just making that up, you know, out of thin air. That was Nick, that's who people understood. Jesus is, is parroting or acknowledging what most people in this environment said about Nicodemus, right? It's almost like saying if I'm with someone, I go, well, you know, the, the mayor is here. You know, we all know, or, or this very important leader is here. Jesus saying, listen, you're the person that everyone in this environment, in this very important central area in Jerusalem, they call you Israel's teacher. So you're supposed to ask yourself the question. Back to my point, forget what you know. How did this happen? How does someone who, as far as we know, is, is, is sincere, he's coming to Jesus by night, he's a scholar of the Old Testament, how does this person be standing in front of the Jewish Messiah and say, I don't understand what you're talking about and I don't believe what you're telling me? Okay? How does that happen? The Old Testament itself, okay, Jesus' Bible, Nicodemus' Bible, it's 39 books, many of you know that, Really, the 39 books of the Old Testament 
we're all about an expectation. Whether they're talking about stories and narrative, whether it's poetry, whether it's the prophets, all of these books are in a manner of speaking, you could call them puzzle pieces. And they are puzzle pieces and they're all trying to put together one particular picture and the picture they're trying to put together, the 39 books of the Old Testament, is a picture of the Jewish Messiah. The expectation, the hope of Israel was a Messiah. Now that Messiah... The person whose picture is on the cover of that puzzle box is standing right in front of Nicodemus, but Nicodemus says, I don't know who you are, I don't understand what you're saying, and I don't believe a word that's coming out of your mouth. How did that happen? Nicodemus had an understanding of God and how God was going to bring about his promised kingdom that was very different from the one Jesus is communicating here. Listen carefully. And we know this through the whole uh, um, writings of the New Testament, so take my word for it for sake of time. But the Jewish leadership was looking for political change. They were living under the Roman occupiers. They were looking for political change and a return to national sovereignty. Right? For hundreds of years before Jesus came, They were living still in Jerusalem. It was still the promised land, but they weren't sovereign. They were under Roman rule. And what they were looking for was a political solution and a return to national sovereignty. And that's not what Jesus Christ was talking about. Even the disciples who were even You'd say more insiders than, um, than Nicodemus. Acts chapter 1, if you're a note taker. Jesus now has risen from the dead. Miracle. He's, he's given the great commission, go into all the world. This is what I'm all about. I mean, a lot has happened. And this is what the disciples, James, Peter, John, I mean, this is what they say to Jesus, Acts chapter 1. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. They say, Lord, can you imagine you have a conversation with a guy who rose from the dead, who gave the Sermon on the Mount, who walked on water, and he's your Savior, and all this has changed, right? But now you're standing there with him, and you can ask him whatever you want to ask him. I mean, what's heaven like? You know, I don't know. What would you ask him? This is what they say. Think about this. The disciples ask this question. Acts chapter 8. Lord, is this now the time? You rose from the dead. You've defeated death. Is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to return national sovereignty to Israel now that you're risen from the dead? That's the question they ask. Now, that's amazing to me. And what Jesus says, he's so tender, right? He doesn't say, you guys are completely so off base. You are 180 degrees from where I am. Get your head out of the past. Get your head. I've completely reinvented everything, and and the whole world is going to hear the gospel. Instead of saying that's what Jesus says. That's not for you to worry about right now, right? He says, just go preach the gospel into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts. What's my point? Nicodemus, listen very carefully, friends. He had the right data set, but he interpreted it. He he shaped it through his own needs and his own interests. And because of it, he couldn't see what Jesus, he couldn't see the hope of Israel standing right in front of him. What I'm saying to you is, Rob Catalani, God help me not to do that. God help this church not to do that. God help the church of Jesus Christ not to do that. 
Because Jesus didn't come here to rearrange politics. He didn't come to, ch- to turn America back into this, that, or the other thing. He came here to rescue people of all stripes, all sizes, all colors uh, who, are, who, are, who are in this world system that's going in the wrong direction, that's going to be ultimately judged, and he's coming here to on a rescue mission. Okay, Nicodemus couldn't see it. You want life change in Jesus? You gotta forget what you know. You gotta forget what you know. I had... Um, was in a, I, I've told this story, I think, before. I was in, in, in Kosovo, south-central Europe, um, about 20 years ago in a mission experience. In, in many ways, I want to say shorthand for it, it's very much like what's happening in the Ukraine right now. In other words, it's, it, was a, it, was a, it was a military campaign. It was about taking over this, 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 this country. And there was a lot of, um, a lot of co- what they called, you know, euphemism, collateral damage. That's a euphemism for saying civilians were killed, houses were destroyed, schools, hospitals, a lot of collateral damage. I went in there with, as a, mission, a missionary with a team after it was over, and we were doing, you know, uh, supplying humanitarian aid in Jesus' name, um, building houses sometimes, rebuilding houses. This will all happen, I'm, I would imagine, in Ukraine in the years to come, months to come. Um, building houses, bringing food, clothes, um, blankets, stoves, you name it. We were doing this for months, doing it in Jesus' name, and we would come. People were very grateful for it because the, the NATO had come in and sort of stopped the, the, the war anyway, and now it was an opportunity to rebuild, and there were great hearts. And I can remember doing this. We would come in mostly with this aid and help, and then somewhere along we'd do it in Jesus' name, and we'd sit and we'd talk to them about Jesus. And for four months I did that, and it was one of the most fulfilling things I'd ever done in my life. I mean, I felt like so alive. But in the midst of that, one, I was there for a year, it was about a month, four or five, I was sitting in a living room with a bunch of people, and I was sort of, you know, we'd, we'd handed out some stuff, I had, I had a captive audience, I was giving my uh, transitioning to say, this is who we are, in Jesus' name, we love you, and a few words about Christ. And this one day, instead of my translator, there was a nephew of one, the, the homeowner who was there, and he just happened to be here from, from another European country, and he spoke English. He said, I'll translate for you. And I got about a third of the way through my speech, and he stopped me. It was one of these conversations, these outmatched conversations. And he said, listen, um, I can t- finish translating that if you want me to, what, my little sort of Jesus speech. And he said, but I don't think you really understand what's going on here. These people in this living room of 20 people, they're all listening to you because um, you've brought some stuff here and they're grateful. But they really don't have ears to hear what you have to say. Their hearts are broken. And the only thing they care about is the people that they lost. So I just thought you might want to know that. Let me tell you something. That was one of the hardest conversations I ever had. But it was one of the best in a manner of speaking. It was as if God was saying through the voice of this stranger, Stop what you're doing. Stop what you, lay down your agenda. Start listening more in a focused way to me and then in a hands-free way to them. And then, some point down the line, if you get interested in what they're really interested in, their grief, maybe they'll be interested in what you have to say. Right? 
You want to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus? It's a new knowledge. It begins. You've got to forget what you know. A true, here's the point. A true life-changing relationship with Jesus will challenge the way that you see yourself and the way that you see the world to the very core. I said this last week. If you don't want a new life, don't become a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you don't want a new life, Jesus didn't, it's not a makeover. He said, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, right? From the bottom up, okay? A new knowledge, you gotta begin by, in a manner of speaking, forget what you know. Second thing this passage tells us, you need to be open to a new way of knowing. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's how you grow as a Christian. You have to be open to a new way of knowing. At bottom, Nicodemus's failure was not a failure of the intellect, okay? It was a failure to believe. Listen to what Jesus says. There I truly I tell you. This is Jesus, right? It's, so, it's amazing that God gets right down there with us and looks us in the eye and treats us as a sort of a, 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 a has respect for us, right? He gets right down there and he says, listen, um, we speak what we know. We testify to what we've seen. Jesus is talking but you don't accept my testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things. What's he talking about? From the context of this passage, he's talking about the born again experience. Yes, it comes from heaven, it's the spirit, but it happens right here. Except a man or a woman be born again right here in this life, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's saying, I'm talking to you about something that's very, um, that's here, that's earthly, but you're not willing to believe me. What Jesus is saying here, it's not a failure of intellect, it's a failure to believe. The truth Jesus is teaching about the new birth, listen, it's elementary. It's 101. Here's what Jesus is saying, verse 12. Paraphrase. If you're unwilling to receive and believe this elementary teaching, there's no point in you trying to learn the deeper, deeper truths about the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. I've spoken to you of earthly things. It's this is 101. You can't, you're not going to understand anything else I say about the deep truths of God if you're not born again. But if you don't believe that, there's no point in me telling you about heavenly things. What Jesus is saying lovingly to Nicodemus and maybe to some of us is listen, come back when you're serious. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Come back when you're serious. I'm here. I'm willing to have a conversation with you. It's a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's give and take. God respects your intellect. God's given you a heart and a mind. He's not asking you to just blind faith walk into some new kind of commitment and surrender. Say, no, let's have a conversation. Right? But it's a new way of knowing. Are you willing to believe? He's saying, listen, come back when you're serious. I can't think of a more pertinent challenge, really, to most people that I talk to, I'm talking about, about conversations about faith, with either non-Christians or Christians than this one, either people that are Christians, or excuse me, non-Christians, who dismiss, let's say, a conversation about the Christian faith, whatever it is, this or that, they just dismiss it out of hand, right? They're not really serious. Or even Christians that I talk to who resist a deeper commitment and obedience to Christ because they're not really serious. Right? I believe that, that we all have a lot more to learn. I do. I've been a Christian for 
you know, 35 plus years, right? I have a lot more to learn, but I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not believing or practicing what we already know, right? If you're not gonna believe these elementary things, what's the point of me talking to you about the deeper things of God, right? We talk about here at Browncroft um, the four habits, okay? The four habits. These are our um, paraphrases of spiritual formation. Spending time with God, Bible reading and prayer every day. Spending time with other people, accountable community. Knowing and using your gifts to what the Trish has just asked us a minute ago, right? Um, uh, sharing your faith. Let me say something about these habits. They're elementary. They're 101. They're the way into the kingdom of God. And if you're not doing those things, Jesus is saying, don't bother asking for the deeper things of God. Right? A new knowledge. You know, some of us, we need to forget what we know. The things that are standing in our way. You know, the, our vision of God, our vision of the purposes of God that aren't really what the Bible has to say. Right? But number two, we need to be open to a new way of knowing. It's about belief. And what is this for non-Christians, right? If you said, well, Rob, I'm, I'm a non-Christian. I'm open to a new way of knowing. Let me say this. What's some advice I can give you about life change in Jesus, a deeper relationship with God? How do you get there? Listen, stop getting your information about God, about Jesus, about his message for what he wants in your life through secondary sources, right? What do you mean? I'm talking about the media, the academy, right? Your sister, your friend. Listen, even people like me. Take a month with the Gospel of John. We'll give you one on your way out here today, okay? And read it for yourself, right? The primary source. You know, there was, they went to arrest Jesus. I think it's John chapter 7. And the temple guards, okay, these guys were, you know, um, uh, these weren't Bible scholars. The temple guards, they sent to go get, go get Jesus and bring him back here. He's causing trouble. You remember this passage maybe. They bring Jesus, or they come back empty-handed. And the, and the leaders, the Jewish leaders like Nicodemus says, uh, uh, what gives? Why didn't you bring him back? You know what they said? We never heard anyone speak the way this guy did, right? Um, his words changed our lives. They said that in a 10-minute exchange with Jesus. One of those two uh, friends, temple guards, stood at the cross, if you remember that story later on, and said, surely this man is the Son of God. Okay, it's a new way of knowing. How about the disciples? Even the disciples who had, Jesus had this resurrection experience, Luke chapter 24. And he's sort of disguised. It's hard for us to understand if you know the story. And Jesus is walking with the disciples and they're all blown away that the Jesus was just died and he, he'd, been, he'd been killed and they were, they were just hopeless. And they meet this stranger. It's an odd passage of scripture. And they end up, he's talking to them about, he's trying to open their eyes, Jesus, in a sort of a disguised way about what had just happened. Like, guys, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. It's like Nicodemus. Jesus is saying, listen, are you a teacher in Israel? Don't you know these things? Haven't you read your Old Testament? You shouldn't be surprised. But he's sitting down, he has, he has, he has um, a meal with them, and then he tears the bread, he breaks it, and then he disappears. And then the disciples say these words. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? Listen, 
and open the scriptures to us? Let me ask you something. Does that happen to you? That's what I mean by primary sources. It's a new way of knowing. When you read the scriptures, when you're engaged in this kind of relationship with God, does your heart burn within you? Uh-huh. This is what it means to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Tim Keller, biblical meditation. Ask yourself if this is your experience every day. Unlike the popular varieties, is not a relaxation technique for emptying the mind, but rather one that fills it with truth, using thought and memory to set your heart on fire. That's what Jesus is trying to do with Nicodemus. That's what Jesus is trying to do with me and with you and even your friends. Listen, guys, Christianity is a relationship not with some pastor, not with some interesting religious teacher, not with you know, uh, some, some man on or woman on the street. It's a, it's a relationship with the living God, right? And you have to put everything down, right? It's a new way of knowing in your life and in my life. And if you do not want a new life, don't become a Christian, okay? But if you do, a new relationship is open to you. Listen, the larger point of this series, or one of them is, how seriously you take your faith, how seriously I take my faith, is one of the best ways you can witness to your friends, your neighbors, and your relatives without ever even opening your mouth necessarily. Do people look at you? Do people look at me and say, there's someone who takes their faith and their relationship with Jesus seriously? They're listening to the words of God and they're setting their heart on fire, right? Is that true of you? Is that true of me? You have to forget what you know, be open to what you're knowing. Finally, last point, you need to choose to believe, right? Belief is a choice, Christians and non-Christians. Look how Jesus ends this. He's so gentle. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, he goes from talking to Nicodemus. We talked about this last week. First, he begins with a, prof, a prophetic passage. We'll call it a prophecy. He goes from Isaiah, or Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. All three of those have the new covenant promises. And Jesus says, he gives this big prophecy, and Nicodemus kind of misses it. And now Jesus goes from a prophetic passage, because he's, he's trying to talk to the person who's in front of him. He's saying, Nicodemus is an Old Testament scholar. I'm going to work with this guy. So he says, listen, okay, I'm going to move from a prophetic passage to a narrative passage. Just as when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now this story, if you're a note taker, it's Numbers chapter 21. But this story, maybe it's unfamiliar to some of us, but it would have been familiar not only to Nicodemus, it would have been familiar to every seven-year-old in Israel. In other words, what they taught in synagogue, you know, their version of, 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 of children's ministry, they would be telling the stories of the Old Testament. One of them would have been this story. It's a famous story. What's the story? The, the, the people of Israel had left Egypt. They're, you know, from, the, from Mount Sinai, where they got the law outside of Egypt, to the promised land, the Bible tells us, was an 11-day journey. Okay? 11-day journey. It took them 40 years. Why did it take 40 years? Because they gave into their fears. They gave into their doubts. They became anxious and they began to complain and they didn't have faith, right? They didn't have faith. And so in the midst of this wandering around the wilderness thing, um, there's a moment 
when the children of Israel become so angry and so frustrated and so fearful, they start to complain against Moses, complain against God. We want to go back to Egypt. We liked it better back there. God, as an act of judgment, sends forth some serpents and begins to, to um, uh, um, people begin to die and they cry out. This is what, this is what Jesus is talking about. And, and God says uh, to Moses, okay, listen, take a pole, put on it a bronze snake, like the snakes that are biting these people, and hold that pole up. And when you hold that pole up, tell the, all those people being bit, if they just look at that pole, they'll live. And Jesus is saying, listen, that old story from Numbers 21, it's about me. It's about me, Nicodemus. You need to choose to believe it. Isaiah 53. Now, I, I'm sure Jesus, not, uh, Nicodemus didn't know what Jesus was talking about. But two years later, Nicodemus was at the crucifixion of Jesus. And because he was such a well-to-do man, a man of influence, he put the pieces together. He remembered this conversation when he saw Jesus on a pole. And Nicodemus was the one who took down the body of Jesus with Joseph, who um, prepared the body, wrapped it in linen, and put it in a tomb. And I'll bet you when he did that, these verses came to life in a new way. Isaiah 52. See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. This is a 700-year-old prophecy. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, it's a new knowledge, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah 53, same prophecy, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isn't that unbelievable? Jesus said, listen, that story is about me. And Nicodemus, if you have eyes to see it right now, you can all look and live as well and simply understand that I am not just someone that was sent from God. I'm not just a good teacher. I am God the Son. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. And I've come to provide the forgiveness of your sins. So let me say this to you, friends. If you're listening to me here today, right, allow yourself, if, especially if you would say I'm not a Christian, okay? Allow yourself to be outmatched by someone who is far smarter than you and someone who's capable of meeting your deepest needs, who is Jesus, right? This is why he came, right? Forget what you know, be open to a new way of knowing, and choose to believe, right? And choose to believe, okay? So I'm gonna pray. Everybody pray with me, heads bowed, eyes closed. Just take a minute here in this service. And if you'd say, whether you're home or you're listening in this room, I've never truly understood what it means to be a Christian. I never saw that what it really means is to be in a relationship with the Son of God who knows me 
far better than I know myself. And I want to come this morning. I see him now. I see the clarity of why he came. As Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be lifted up on a cross so that whoever looks to him as the sacrifice for sin, they too can have everlasting life. All you need to do is believe. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. So all you need to do, friends, right where you sit, home or here, is simply do what this passage says, to believe. It's a new way of knowing. Say these prayer, these words to your, uh, in your own heart. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I come to you now empty-handed and am and receive this amazing gift. I look to the cross and ask that you would not only forgive my sins, but send me the promised Holy Spirit that I too might be a son or a daughter of God. Thank you, God. Let me just say, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer and you happen to be sitting in this room, I'd love to just pray for you. Just raise your hand up. Just stick it up and down real fast. Thank you. Just, yes, thank you. Just up and down. Thank you across the room. Lord, I thank you for these friends here, maybe at home. Let us know through the chat if you're watching. As I prayed, Lord, I thank you for your amazing love, your amazing grace that never gives up on us, comes after us, and looks us in the face, and encourages us, challenges us, to simply look and live. I pray for these friends, Lord, that they would um, feel and know your Holy Spirit, know your presence in their lives. I pray this would be the beginning, Lord, of a new life-changing relationship with the Son of God, Jesus. And we just thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, friends, uh, before I send you out, two things. One is if you prayed that prayer, you can go. We'd love to meet you, right? So we got to talk. It's, it's, it's a first step. We'd love to meet you. You can go to, this, to, to the table right outside here. There's some people with blue shirts. And uh, we'd love to give you a Bible, help you take a next step if you're, if you're comfortable with doing that. That's what it's how I did that many years ago. Not in this room, but in a room like this one. But if you're not uh, uh, comfortable with that or, or, or have to go pick up your kids, whatever, um, just text the word Jesus to the number on the screen, the name Jesus uh, uh, to the number on the screen. You're not texting Jesus, of course, but uh, <laughs> maybe you are. I don't know. But uh, um, uh, that just gives us an opportunity to get back to you, just to, you know, really just in an, in an email way. We want to help you take a next step. It's all about taking steps, right? And uh, so you can do that. And let me say this, too. If you're new, even if you're new, new could mean two years because the coronavirus has been this sort of you know, a, a crazy experience for people that, you know, you, you know we're all sort of still uh, overcoming what it means to be in the church. If you're relatively new, we'd like to meet you. Just come, stop at the table. They want to say hello. There's a gift for you as well. Um, we look forward to meeting you. Amen? Amen. Have a great Sunday.